have spent we have spent um, much time in search for truth. It is a it is a twelve lesson series, but I think we're probably on lesson fourteen now. I don't I really don't know, but sometimes we've taken as much as three Wednesday nights on one lesson, and uh, that's not a bad thing because I feel like the more we dig into the Word of the Lord, the better off we are. And we need to know some of these things that are written in this Bible study. We finished Lesson 9 after three Wednesday nights. And uh, the last thing that we talked about, well, Lesson 9, we talked about a lot of things. But the last thing we talked about was being holy and separated unto God. And then living a balanced life. Living a life that had spiritual things as well as the normal everyday life. And you have, to, you have to put those together, and that's the way we become good character and good Christians and good people, and we get ready to go to heaven. Amen. Tonight's going to be a little bit different night, and uh, it, it, will be, it will have some things, and I'm going to dwell much upon uh, the things that I feel like you will be more interested in. We're, we're studying this evening on the history of the church. Now, now, we've, we've talked about a lot of things up until now, but let me just t- tell you this, and I hope you have a handout. If you don't have a handout, if you hold your hand up, we'll get you one. Amen. Does anybody need one tonight? Very quickly. Martha, what are you doing out here? You don't ever come to Wednesday night service. She's always in kid life. Amen. But uh, nevertheless, we, we, if you don't have a handout, get one in your hand because you can follow along in that. The early church, we'll start with church, with, uh, excuse me, with chart one, and talk about the early church ablaze. What a revival came to the early church. Following the outpouring of the Holy Ghost, the church was infused with great power and favor from God, and it propelled them into action, into great revival. The book of Acts is one of the most exciting places you will ever go in the word of the Lord. When the Holy Ghost fell in Acts chapter 2, the the church became just a blaze of fire. And it began to spread. In Acts chapter 2, we know there was 120 in the upper room that received the Holy Ghost. And that same day, 3,000 received the Holy Ghost. And just a chapter or two later, 5,000 more received the Holy Ghost. One writer said, an historian wrote, that 87,000 people received the baptism of the Spirit before there was ever a persecution in the first church. The book of Acts, the book of Acts records the first 33 years of the existence of the church, the book of Acts. So I want you, I want you to remember these things, and, uh, and, and we're going to talk tonight about how they got to where they were and what happened in that early church. Because when redemption was completed, he, the Lord returned as the Holy Ghost. When Calvary was, was over and he, and he rose from the dead and he came back and our salvation was bought and paid for, he sent the Holy Ghost. And he sent it living in the, in the heart and the body of mankind. I'm here to tell you today that we don't serve a God that is afar off because if you know Jesus through the power of the Holy Ghost, he is living not around you but in you on this very night. 
Anybody believe that? Jesus said, I'm with you now, but I'm going to be in you. I thank God that he dwells in us. The book of Acts was a, was a unique church. There were three inseparable, inseparable features of this mighty, blazing church of apostolic revival that were revealed to us in the book of Acts. One of them was the Word. The other was the name of Jesus. The other was the Holy Ghost. Let's talk about the Word first because the, the, the Word has a, a very powerful place in our lives. There's, there's actually three different meanings given for the Word. We have what we know as the Word incarnate or the Word made flesh, and that was Jesus Christ. We have the spoken Word that the apostles preached very powerfully in the book of Acts. And then we have the written Word which we know today to be the history of the beginning of the book of Acts church or the apostolic church, should I say. Notice the unique places afforded the word of God by the early church. Let me just give you a few scriptures very quickly. The Bible said in Acts chapter 2, then they, then they that gladly received his word was baptized. That's what the word did. In Acts 4, the Bible said, many of them which heard the word believed, the word of God. In Acts chapter 6, it said, it is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables, but we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. That's how important the word was. In Acts chapter 6, again, it said, and the word of God increased, and the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly. In Acts chapter 8, the Bible said they were scattered abroad. They that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. How many of you know that this right here will bring a revival to a church? This is where it's at. Amen? I'm going to tell you, if you want power of God, powerful preaching, Powerful anointing, get in this right here. This is the answer right here to apostolic revival. This is what they did in the first church. The Bible said in Acts chapter 8, now when the apostles heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they said unto them Peter and John. In Acts chapter 13, the Bible said the next Sabbath day came almost the whole city together to hear the word of God. And Acts chapter 19 said, so mightily grew the word of God and prevailed. Those are just a few occasions in the book of Acts where the word of God was the power and the dominant force. Let me tell you, you can't preach anything more powerful than the word of God. Amen. So they, they, they leaned upon and they believed in and they taught. And they practiced the word. But not just the word of God. They used the name of Jesus. I'm going to tell you that, that there's power in the name of Jesus. Amen. I love the scripture in Acts chapter 3. That said in his name, through faith in his name, hath made this man strong. Whom ye see and know. Yea, the faith which is in, by him hath given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. They said it came by his name and through faith in his name. Isn't the name of Jesus wonderful? 
is that the name of Jesus powerful. I want to tell you there's no name like that name. And the book of Acts church knew the power of the name of Jesus. I want to get to this story in just a, a little bit. But there were signs and wonders that came. And they came by the name of Jesus, the word of God, and the power of the Holy Ghost. Let me say it again. They came by the word. They came by the name. And they came by the power of the Holy Ghost in that first church. Folks, if I don't get anything else to you in this lesson tonight, let me get this to this church. It doesn't matter who's preaching. It doesn't matter who's singing. It doesn't matter how good or, or how much ability one may have. You can do nothing without the power of the Word of God and the power of the name of Jesus and the power of the Holy Ghost in our lives. Amen. I believe we ought to be an apostolic church. If we're going to be an apostolic church, we've got to operate like they did. The Word, the name, the Holy Ghost. There were signs and wonders in that first church. You see the, the uh, chart here. There were signs and wonders. I love, I love the story of, uh, of that lame man, that lame man laying at the gate beautiful, Peter and John going to the temple to pray. And, and he, I, I mean, I, we, could, we could spend a lot of time here talking. We don't know how long he was there, but here's what we do know that he was probably a permanent fixture right there because everybody else was passing him by and, and he was begging alms. And you see the picture here on the left side in Acts chapter 3. This particular day, Peter and John going up to the temple to pray and, and, and suddenly this man begging for alms gets their attention and Peter says, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I unto thee. And this is what he said. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. It happened by the power of the name. There were signs. There were many signs and wonders that came. There were signs. That let, let me just give you a, 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 another example. Stephen was stoned. Uh, we know that. We know that Stephen was a good man, and he was one of the deacons of the first church, and he was full of faith and full of the Holy Ghost. But while Stephen was being stoned, Paul was holding the coats of those that stoned him. And, and if you want to go from Acts chapter 7 to just a little ways over to Acts chapter 9, you'll find out what kind of remarkable man Stephen was because Paul never forgot what Stephen did. He didn't fight back. He didn't curse them. He blessed them while they were stoning him. He was a great witness for the cause of Christ. And so the, the signs and the wonders continued all throughout the book of Acts. There's not enough time nor space for me to talk about all the signs and wonders that happened in the book of Acts because it was miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle. This is the way the first church began. I want to tell you on this Wednesday night, I don't believe that that church has to die. I believe there ought to be a Book of Acts church in 2022. I still believe the same God that raised up the lame man, the same God that provided the signs and the wonders and the miracles and acts is the same God we serve. And I believe he still heals bodies. I believe he still does the signs and wonders for the church. 
Amen. Amen. So, so after Stephen is stoned, and then in the 12th chapter, Peter is in prison. Remember that story. Peter's in prison, and, and uh, the church is praying for him. And the angel comes and gets him. And he leads him out and walks right out the door. And every gate they came to, the gate swung open wide. And Peter goes to the house where they're praying, and they don't even believe their own prayers. He had to convince them that I'm Peter, and the Lord has delivered me. But let me tell you, that's the kind of God we serve. There's no prison sale that can hold the gospel. There's nothing that can smother and kill the moving of God. You can sing songs at midnight and God will send the deliverance of an earthquake. Hallelujah. There's signs and wonders and miracles. But of course, they dealt with persecution. What happened in the first church was when the revival came and the word of God and the name of Jesus and the power of the Holy Ghost began to move, the people of that old Jewish descent were upset. And they determined to get rid of the church. Persecution came to the church. Persecution came to the church. And, but I want to tell you that every time one of the children of God were persecuted, that they were, they were dispersed, they would flee one city and go to another place, and a revival would break out. Everywhere the church went, where people had the power of God in their lives, it was like a it was like a hot coal of fire that landed in dry timber. And everywhere they went, another revival would break out. Everywhere they'd go, another move of God would come. All of a sudden, there were signs and wonders. This is what happened in the first church. And then you have the next chart, please. And then you have in, uh, in Acts chapter 9, Saul the persecutor. Remember this guy? Remember Saul of Tarsus? He held the coats of those that stoned Stephen. But Saul, he was an educated man. Let me talk about him just a little bit. His education beginning in uh, Tarsus. He, he, he was the, went to the third university city of the world. He later received education from, in Jerusalem from the feet of Gamaliel, a leading rabbi. He was, uh, he was by occupation a tent maker. Saul was. Let me tell you what history says about Saul. He was short, yes. He was partially bald, yes. I'm not saying I look like him, but I was delighted when I read a little history about him. But he was, he was short, and the history said he was partially bald, and he had a rugged physique, and I don't know about that. But the Corinthians attributed his bodily presence is weak, they said, but his speech is contemptible. In other words, he's not the most good-looking guy, but when he walks in, something's about to happen. And the Apostle Paul, or, or Paul, Saul of Tarsus, let me put it this way, he was on his way to destroy and persecute the church, Christians. When Saul had a light knock him down from heaven, he's on the road to Damascus. Probably anybody in here could tell this story, but we got to cover this tonight. He's on his way to Damascus when this extremely bright light shone from heaven 
so bright that it knocked him to his knees. And a voice came out of heaven, and it said, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And trembling, he answered and said, Who are you, Lord? Somebody called me the other day and said, What is the name of the Lord? I said, Well, just let me give you a little scripture. When Paul hid his knees from the light and, and said, Who are you, Lord? The voice came out of heaven and said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. So we know that the voice of the Lord came. And, and of course, instruction came to Saul. He fasted three days. He was blind, but he was healed and he was baptized and he, was, he became an humble a servant of Christ. Ananias, whom Saul uh, came, was coming to, pro, uh, to persecute, he literally baptized him. And according to Acts 9, 17 through 18 and 1 Corinthians 14 and 18, Paul was filled with the Holy Ghost and Paul said, I speak with tongues more than y'all. So this haughty, self-righteous, Christian-killing man suddenly turns the, the corner and he turns his life around. And God took one of the devil's biggest weapons and made him one of the greatest preachers that has ever walked upon the face of this earth. Paul was a, became a mighty, mighty preacher of the gospel Later, when he was referring to his conversion, this is what he said. But it, when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace to reveal his son in me, that I might preach him among the heathen, immediately I conferred not with flesh and blood. He became a powerful preacher. You can read about his missionary journeys. You can read about all the things that Paul did. Let me, let me tell you, he showed up into the church at Galatia and he was disturbed because there was some things coming into the church. And this is what Paul said. I love this scripture. He wrote it in, in Galatians chapter 1. He said, I marvel that you're so soon removed the gospel to another. He said, which is not another, but there are some among you that have tried to pervert. That means to change the gospel of Christ. But Paul said this in Galatians 1 and 8, But though we are an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. And then he came back and he said it again, But I certify you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached of me is not after man. For I neither received it of man, neither was I taught it, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ." The Apostle Paul, he's just one of, those, one of those men you cannot ignore in the New Testament church. He became, he became a powerful preacher, and he, he actually took three missionary journeys. I'm not going to spend, I could take any part of this and spend an hour, but if I do that, we're going to be two or three lessons into, into chapter 10, and I want to get over it tonight. But Paul became a missionary. Together, Saul and Barnabas labored for a full year in Antioch, and the Holy Ghost called the two apostles by the, to be the first foreign missionaries to the Gentiles. Paul was a preacher to the Gentiles. So Paul's preaching ministry consisted chiefly of three missionary campaigns, each beginning from the church at Antioch. 
And on the first endeavor, Paul accompanied, was accompanied by Barnabas, Barnabas excuse me, and John Mark to the island of Cyprus and several provinces of Asia Minor. The second, the second uh, missionary journey, he wouldn't let John Mark go. Paul chose Silas and Barnabas selected John Mark. So they parted ways and they made another journey. On the third gener- uh, missionary journey, the trip was to Ephesus in the idolatrous Asian capital he preached for three years. Paul, Paul wrote 13 books of the Bible. Paul wrote things while he was in prison that we only wish we could have had the revelation of. They would throw him in prison, but he couldn't, they, would, they could not keep him. Paul was a prisoner much of his ministry. He was thrown in prisons, and, and then he was brought before kings. I love the story when Paul was brought before Agrippa, and Paul gave his testimony, and Agrippa said this, Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. He preached before Agrippa and Felix. He was scared. They, they sent him away and sent him to Rome. And on his way to Rome, he, the ship he was on was destroyed. Remember that story in the book of Acts, how Paul said, be of good cheer. The boat's going to crash. Everything's going down. But your lives are going to be saved. He said, don't worry about it. An angel stood by me. We're going to make it okay. That's the kind of man the Apostle Paul was. The Apostle Paul, Paul's confinement to prison and his frustration at often being stopped. It was in these places that Paul wrote, I have learned that in whatsoever state I am, therewith to be content. In other words, I'm going to keep preaching. 13 of the 21 New Testament epistles appear, appear under the name of Paul. What a mighty preacher. And what a great link to keep the church moving in the book of Acts revival. Amen. If you ever want a great study, just go do a a study on the Apostle Paul because he was absolutely a great man and a great preacher. Next chart, please. I'm going to be very honest with you. The next couple of charts I'm going to move through very quickly. Some of the things, you will have these things on your study sheet. But I I want to tell you that after... Pentecost and after the book of Acts revival in A.D. 70 came the destruction of the city of Jerusalem. It was prophesied. Even the Lord said, one stone shall not be upon the other. It came as great judgment. Roman armies besieged the holy city. The day of vengeance, the Bible called it in Luke chapter 21. In Luke 21, it said, and shall be led captive, led away captive into all nations until the time of the Gentiles be fulfilled. Now, let me pause long enough to say this to you, that when that city and that land was taken, it was not given back to the Jews legally until 1948. But in 1948, Israel became a nation again. I'm going to talk a lot about that in the prophecy lessons that we have coming. But but in in writings, if you go read about the the siege of Jerusalem, 
One writer said hideous screams resounded from the terrorized Jews. Josephus wrote a lot of history. He was a great historian. He said no one records Josephus can, can conceive a louder, more terrible shriek that arose from all sides during the burning of the temple. They literally burned it to the ground. The Romans took terrible vengeance of the Jews for their stubborn resistance. And as many as five, listen to me, 500 victims a day were nailed to crosses outside the city. Josephus in his writing recalls that this massacre continued until there was no more wood for making crosses. Remember what they said when they crucified Jesus? Let his blood be on us and on our children. It was. They said, let his blood be. They cried that out while they were crucifying Jesus, and little did they know and realize how many of them would die the death, the cruel death of a cross identical to what Jesus Christ died. No, there was not one stone left upon the other. The day of vengeance had come. And finally, the revolt ended on April the 15th, 73 A.D., when refugees in the garrison of Masada, I went there. There's a movie out called Masada. It's a very powerful movie. A rock fortress on the western shore of the Dead Sea. They committed suicide rather than surrendering to the Roman soldiers. Thus, after existing 1,300 years, the Jewish state was abolished, not to be restored again until Israel became a nation in 1948. So that tells you a little bit about history. I want to move very quickly because the next couple of the next couple of charts I'm just going to touch on. After the close or at the close of that first century, few of the original 12 were still alive. James the brother of John was the first to be martyred. He was killed, he was martyred. And, and, and earlier, Stephen, one of the seven deacons, was stoned to death. We talked about that. James, a younger brother of Jesus, was slain in the temple about 62 A.D. And tradition indicates that Peter was crucified upside down. And Paul was literally beheaded. And the other apostles, with the exception of John, experienced horrible deaths of stoning, beating, stabbing, and various forms of torturous execution. John is believed to have died a natural death at Ephesus about 100 A.D. So this is the church in persecution. And for the next 200 years, the church endured the sword of persecution. Persecution came by Nero. These You, you can see the chart. Nero, that, that's a whole other time and place until the reign of Nero. Christianity was opposed, but it was tolerated. And then professed Christians were executed one by one. The, if you were a Christian, you were executed immediately if they found it out. It is believed that Peter was crucified during this persecution of Nero, and Paul was beheaded the very following year. You have people in the Fox's Book of Mortars. If you never read that book, you need to go buy that book. It's an old book, 
been around for a long time. But it tells what the church went through. It tells what people gave for the gospel. How that some of them refused to deny. You, you can read about Polycarp who refused at the arena, the, the proconsul of Asia tried to dissuade him. But the aged old man believer, 86 years, he said, have I served him and he has done me no wrong. How then can I blaspheme my Savior and King? And Polycarp was taken to the stake and burned alive. Ladies and gentlemen, this gospel, this gospel, there's been bloodshed. There's been a lot of price paid for it. I'm so glad we still know truth in 2022, aren't you? Amen. You can take it to the catacombs of Rome. That's one of the charts in 253 A.D. The, the Valerian became, uh, became emperor, and at first he appeared favorable to the Christians, but his policy changed after a few years, and an edict was, uh, an edict was published forbidding Christians to hold ordinary meetings. And, and, and so there all of a sudden came the catacombs of Rome because they did not have places. So many were killed, so many Christians, they did not have places to bury them. And so they forced believers to bury their dead in the catacombs of Rome, which were deep underground passageways or tunnels dug to obtain uh, those bodies and those, those places for people to be buried. Listen to me. Listen to me. We don't understand in 2022 what people have paid for the, the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's a great story. There's a lot of things that you can go and study. They burned the Bibles in 300 or 303 A.D. This really happened. It's all part of history. Turn to the next chart. This is a chart that if I took all night, I couldn't, I couldn't make it. You won't understand it all when I got through. So I'm going to just run through it very quickly. From 30 to 150 A.D. in the first hundred years of the day of, since the day of Pentecost, Christians suffered. They suffered persecution. The Bible said they would. The Bible, the Lord told them they would. The first of all commandments is to hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is, is one, and to love him with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. And, and, and we understand that. But the more they loved God and the more they tried to hold on to truth, the persecution kept coming. In, 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 in the first chart, 30 through 150, the day of Pentecost, persecution by Nero, the martyrdom of the apostles, Jerusalem destroyed, we just talked about that, and the persecution of Domitian. The Gnosticism came, Gnosticism and Montalist in A.D. 155. Tertullian, who introduced the new theology, listen to me, this is the man that first introduced Trinity doctrine in A.D. 156, Sibelius came along in A.D. 200 and said, no, there's only one God. You go to 300 through 400 A.D., the persecution came, Constantine. The, but I want to skip down to where you see Council of Nicaea, A.D. 325. Listen to me right now. In A.D. 325, the Council of Nicaea, the Roman Catholic Church, instituted the Trinitarian formula of doctrine into the church. 
Trinity is not mentioned in the Bible. It is not taught in the Bible. It became, it first started in, in A.D. 158 by Tertullian, and then it was instituted into the Roman Catholic Church. I'm not telling you anything. You can't pick up the Britannic Encyclopedia or go to your computer and study. We deny the Trinity because it is not biblical. I'm not attacking anybody's religion. I'm just telling you that this is what happened in history. And, and, and at the Council of, of Nicaea, they instituted that into the Roman Catholic Church. And, and, and from there, it was, it, was a, it was a rough ride. A.D. 450, the, or excuse me, to 500, there was heathen worship began. They were sacrificing uh, on altars and, and priests and images and relics uh, and, and all of that they worshiped was not of God. The Roman Empire fell in 410. I'm just going to leave that chart there so you can see it. The Dark Ages came. The birth of Muhammad, who is the father of the Islam nation, who was the father of the Muslim nation, was born in A.D. 570. Holy wars, crusades through 1096 through 1291, power struggles of the church and the state, the sale of indulgences. You know what the sale of indulgences was? They came up with a deal in the Roman Catholic Church that they could sell you, so you could pay so much money, and you could buy your redemption for so many sins. The sale of indulgences, seriously. You could, you could say, I'm going to pay this, and this will pay for all the things I do. They didn't have to repent. They just had to pay. Maybe we ought to open up here. Never, because that's not scriptural. But you bought your sin. You literally bought whatever sin you wanted to buy. Go study that. Go study indulgences in the first church. Or, or back, not in the first church, but way back in A.D. 500 through 1500. Go to the next chart, if you will, Brother Jeff. I've, I've, I've covered a lot of ground here real quick because I want to get to the other charts. And then Christianity started reforming, 1,000 through 1,400. You, you start reading all of these people that came along. The English Bible came back into existence, the Wycliffe English Bible. When the printing press was invented, the first book to be printed on the printing press was the Bible. Do you know of all the bestsellers and all the things that uh, books and things that sold throughout history, nothing has ever outsold the Bible? Is that amazing? Nothing. To this day, nothing has ever outsold the Bible. So the, the printing press, they made, they brought the scriptures. Then there, there were more persecutions. John Huss was murdered in 1415. The first printing press you see in 1455. You, you, you've, the Protestant Reformation, the Protestant Reformation. This is where Martin Luther came along, and he started disagreeing. The Anabaptists, they called them, in 1525. The Church of England, John Calvin, John Knox, Presbyterians, Thomas Cartwright. These are, these are things of history. You could take any one of these characters and start talking about them. Such deception came from, uh, uh, from the Roman Catholic Church that it aroused Martin Luther, and that's where the Lutherans come from. But he got aroused. Luther attacked the abuses of indulgences. He, he, he didn't like it because of what they were doing. And written from sincere heart and pastoral concern for the people, Luther 
not intending to ignite a revolution in the Roman church. He loved so well, but he did ignite it and, it, and it became such a widespread thing that then it started going to every city and it started spreading. Let me tell you, in those days, there wasn't cable news, there wasn't Fox News, there wasn't CNN, but let me tell you, when revival started spreading, it spread from town to town and people would hear what was going on. And this is the way there was great revival beginning to happen in all of those all of those years leading up the great Christian reform or the great reformation. Notice camp meetings, uh, uh, Charles G. Finney in 1821, the Disciples of Christ in 1830, Adventist in 1844, and then a man that you probably heard of, Charles H. Spurgeon's. I have his books and I have his sermons. What a powerful preacher he was. And then D.L. Moody, D.L. Moody, what a great preacher. And, and they brought it all the way to our generation. I said I wasn't going to spend much time on that because I want to talk about the latter-day outpouring. Next chart. Here's where I want to take you on this, on this Wednesday night. The latter-day outpouring. Everybody say 1901. Isn't it amazing that in 1901, the beginning of a new century, that the, the latter-day outpouring started to come. Topeka, Kansas. A man by the name of Charles F. Parham, a 27-year-old minister in Topeka, Kansas. His desire was to search the Word and deepen his consecration. And it led to the opening of Bible school in October of 1900. Forty students joined him, 40 students, to discover more truth. A question arose among the students about the second chapter of Acts. Was the Holy Ghost baptism always accompanied by speaking with other tongues? Was the tongues experience still available in 1900? That was what they were seeking. And after a prayerful study, the group concluded that speaking with other tongues always accompanied the spirit baptism in the New Testament. This was in 1900. Then, on New Year's Day, 1901, it happened. Student Agnes Osmond asked her instructor to lay hands on her that she might receive the Holy Spirit. And as Parham prayed, she began to speak with other tongues and floods of joy and laughter. And so by the third day, many, many had received that like experience. And no two were doing the same thing, but they were speaking in tongues. And 12 ministers of different faiths were among those baptized in the Holy Ghost. Reporters came from Topeka, Kansas, from Topeka, excuse me, and Kansas City and St. Louis and many other cities, along with professors and foreigners and government interpreters. People were coming from everywhere because they had heard about this outpouring of the Holy Ghost. It was not the first time believers had received the Holy Ghost. We know that. But it was the first time in the modern era that believers sought to receive the Holy Ghost with the expectation of speaking in other tongues. I've had so many people ask me, can you rattle the chain of succession in your church all the way to the book of Acts? You better believe I can. Because I'm going to tell you what I believe right now before I go any further. 
all those charts I just showed you with the, with the Reformation, with the Dark Age, with all the things that happened. Let me just tell you this. I believe somewhere at some point, at some time, there have always been people that have believed in the power of the Holy Ghost and have spoken in other tongues. They may not have made the history books, but I don't believe God ever let the church die. The church has been alive since the day of Pentecost. It's what I believe. Amen. So, from this time, Pentecostals begin to teach and receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost. It, 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 it got more and more. It, it came to Galena, Kansas. It came to, from there to Joplin, Missouri. It came, it came to other towns, to Houston. And when it got to Houston, in a place called Alvin, Texas, I've been there, a small town near Houston, 134 people were baptized. When the need for training became apparent, a Bible school was opened in Houston in December of 1905. Watch this. One of the students, his name was W.J. Seymour, a black holiness preacher, was intrigued by this unique spirit outpouring. So in 1906, he, invited, he was invited to hold a meeting in a small holiness church in Los Angeles. Seymour left Houston for California, and there he went. His first text of his meeting was Acts chapter 2. And he had not even received the Holy Ghost baptism. But he preached that speaking in tongues was the gift's spiritual evidence. A wave of protest was ignited in that community. And when Seymour returned for the afternoon service, the door was locked. And his unique message was very unwelcome. On April the 9th, 1906, well, first of all, homeless and penniless, Seymour was invited to a home of a sympathetic onlooker, and, and, and they started having prayer meeting, and people began to get hungry for God. And on April the 9th, 1906, six people were gloriously filled with the Holy Ghost. And for three days and nights, listen to me, Hundreds pushed into the little house to see what was happening because it had been greatly reported that God's presence was great amongst this people of this group of sincere people, and the city got stirred. And as the people came, they were captivated by the power. Many people were healed of terminal diseases. This is 1906, and on April the 12th, 1906, Seymour was baptized with the Holy Ghost. He'd been preaching the Holy Ghost without the Holy Ghost, but he got the Holy Ghost in 1906, and he spoke with tongues, and the, the history says that the house that they were in literally shook under the power of God. For three years, this two-story framed house held a mighty revival. They didn't have musical instruments, but they sang and praised God. And for three years, revival continued day and night. The secret for Azusa Street revival was prayer. You've heard of Azusa Street. This is where it began in the early 1900s, in 1906. This is, a, this is written in history books. This is not hearsay. I'm telling you where the church came from to where it is today. And then... And then in 1911, another truth came to William Durham, 
he discovered that there was not three separate works of grace. Watch me here. A common expression in those days were, I'm saved, sanctified, and filled with the Holy Ghost. And Durham advocated salvation to be an inward work, a change of heart, a change of nature. And this illumination began to spread. And so they, 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 it spread through the church of God and the Pentecostal Holiness Church and the church of God in Christ. And although they spoke in other tongues, they continued to believe in the three works of grace. 1914, new organization started. In 1914, a man by the name of Ian Bell and Howard Goss issued a call to form an organization teaching the Pentecostal experience. The first general council of the Assemblies of God convened with Bell as the chairman. In 1913, Jesus' name baptism was introduced and the oneness of God. A fellow by the name of R.E. McAllister began studying about the New Testament water baptism. And McAllister suddenly pointed out to all these people that nowhere in the New Testament was anybody ever baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. And they're not. He said everybody's been baptized in Jesus' name. It was a divine revelation. And they were rediscovering biblical water baptismal formula and men began to study it and study Trinitarian doctrine and when they realized where it came from they became one God Jesus name apostolic believers this is the history that we have so how did they do it in the book of Acts they believed in one God in Jesus name baptism they believed in the Holy Ghost who was speaking with tongues you say and, and I've had people tell me this I I had a man sit at a table with me not too long, well, a few years ago now, and he, he's, and he's gone from here now, and it's probably best he did. But he looked at me and he said, Pastor, could you maybe just not be, be so adamant about that? And I said, absolutely, I'm going to be adamant about that. I believe that's salvation. I, I read in the book of God. I'm not preaching something that's just history. I can rattle my Belief right back to the book of Acts. I believe what the book of Acts taught. Does anybody here believe what the book of Acts taught? The Holy Ghost, repentance, baptism in Jesus' name. Although in the turn of the century, people began to get revelation and it began to fall back and all of a sudden God was growing and building the church again. Amen. 1940, instructions began to come. And people began to be, be educated and, and have revelation about the gifts of the Spirit. And the gifts of the Spirit have often been misused in the church. Gifts of the Spirit we study during our Bible study. They are in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14. They are for the church of 2022. They are not to be misused. They are to, to empower the church to do the spiritual things of God. Amen? That's what we believe. But it began to come to them, and the Bible said earnestly, uh, covet earnestly the best gifts and desire spiritual gifts. Then came 1950 and the charismatic movement. <laughs> and all of a sudden, people in all denominations were speaking in tongues. It became really prevalent in the 70s. I remember, I remember it so well. 
I, I was just beginning to preach. I, I was down in, uh, in Laplace, Louisiana, preaching revival, and, and we had, a, we had a, a visitor. A couple of ladies came to visit one night, and, uh, and we, we were having a good revival. People were getting the Holy Ghost, and, and uh, my dear friend, Dewey Bass, who passed just not too long ago, we 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 get we saw these women here this particular night and he said well let's 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 go the next day and invite them back see what they thought so he and I we we knocked on their door and uh, and introduced ourselves and said we saw you at church we want you to come back and oh yes we just enjoyed it we're so and so and so and so and while we were sitting there that's they just all of a sudden start speaking in tongues to one another I said oh no 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 no. You got the wrong idea. The Bible said you speak as a spirit gives the utterance. But there came all kind of stuff with the charismatic movement. There came, there came these preachers with oil dripping off the end of their fingers. There came all kind of wild stuff. You know, supposedly, and I'm not saying they were, they supposedly. But they were, they were shaking stuff out of handkerchiefs on people at the altar, supposedly. So, so where you got a move of God, you all always have, you always have the devil's invention to come in and try to mock it and and make it look like, well, this this is what it really is. But here's what I I, I said all of this tonight to tell you: the history of the church is this. It has brought us to our finest hour. You know what the Bible said: in the last days, saith God, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. And I believe that's happening right now. I want to tell you that millions and millions of people are receiving the Holy Ghost and have received the Holy Ghost around the world. When the Iron Curtain came down and they got in on the other side, you know what they found? They, they, they didn't have to send missionaries. There were already people there that believed in the oneness of God and Jesus' name baptism, speaking in tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. I'm here to tell you that all of this earth is going to know this truth, and it is being projected now. Look, if I will, I will tell you this. If, if, if the Internet hasn't done anything else, it's put the gospel to the whole world. It's done what television couldn't do. It's put the gospel to the whole world. I, every once in a while, I'll get a, I'll get a message from somebody in Africa about our church. I'm, I'm serious. Every once in a while, I'll get a message from across the United States. I'll go sometime to places and people said, oh, I watched your service that you don't even know they're watching. So God has brought us to the hour uh, this hour, the church's finest hour. I'm not, I'm not disgruntled. I'm not disappointed. I'm not dissatisfied. I'm not worried about the church. I want to tell you that I believe God has brought this church to this hour for this time for the greatest things that he's ever done. And I believe that this is the finest hour for the church of the living God. I don't know what you believe, but I refuse to look back I'm going to look forward. I believe what he did in 1901 and 1906 and 1911 and 1914 and 1940 and in 1950, he's going to do greater things. In 2022, we just have to believe God is the same God and he's bringing great revelation to this church. Amen. Amen.
Aren't you glad for truth tonight? And here's, here's what you have to understand. When you start talking about the Charles Finneys, when you start talking about the D.L. Moody's, when you start talking uh, about the Martin Luther's, when you start talking about the Reformation, there were, there were, there were nuggets of truth that came. Let, let me explain something to you tonight. The Roman Catholic Church became the predominant church of all history way back, way back at the, at the, in the beginning, after the book of Acts, when the persecution came, the Romans were in charge. The Roman Catholic Church became the dominant place, and they are the ones that instituted indulgences. They are the ones that instituted Trinitarian doctrines. They are the one that introduced so much to religion. Now, watch me right here, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to say this very kindly. The reason we call Protestants Protestants is because somebody protested from the Roman Catholic Church. You cannot be a Protestant if you don't protest from. Protestants mean they protested from. So what you have in all of the religions and the denominations, to be a denomination means you nominated down from. So I believe Pentecost is more than a Protestant religion. And I believe it's more than a denomination. I believe it is an experience from God for everybody. That's what I believe. I don't believe that we nominated down from the Roman Catholic Church, and I don't believe, and I'm not, I'm not attacking them. I'm just telling you history. But we got to call, we got to call a spade a spade here, Amen. So we didn't nominate down from the Roman Catholic Church. This church was started in the Book of Acts. I want to know that this church preaches, teaches, believes, and loves the truth that was in the Book of Acts Church, Amen. So we can't leave any of it out, and we can't deny parts of it. We can't take what we want and throw the other away. We're just going to have to continue to be a church that's seeking to be a Book of Acts church. The first sermon I preached in this pulpit in 1989 when I came back to help my dad and uh, to co-pastor with him, the first sermon that I preached in this church was the book with no amen. The book with no amen. You know what that is? That's the book of Acts. You go read through the New Testament, you'll find where the disciples or the apostles would write and they'd say amen. But the book of Acts has no amen. And I want to tell you why it has no amen. Because there's no finality to the book of Acts. The revival of the book of Acts has to continue until Jesus comes. And I believe that's what God has for us. Amen.